Good morning, church family. I'm honored to be here with you today. Uh, usually, I am not the Murdoch that you see up here, so that one looks a little different than I do. But I'm happy to be here with you and spend some time looking at Colossians. We are continuing our Jesus Manifesto series as we have been going through this book. And it is a little bit of a mystery, as Vern pointed out, so we will be going through that today. We're having some issues with our slides, so you will have to use your imagination as I describe to you what we are talking about. However, the title for today is The Mystery Revealed, Living a Life of Fullness. I'd also like to say real quick before getting started that Jay and I are celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary today. And thank you. And I want to thank you especially because you were here from the beginning when we were newlyweds in 2014. And it is such a beautiful thing to have those two bookends of when we began and coming back now uh, to a church that has supported us throughout our journey. So I want to thank you guys for that. Please join me as we begin in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together to delve into your word and to learn some of the wisdom and the treasures that you have waiting for us. Please be with us throughout the journey, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we are talking about mysteries revealed and I wanna start out by playing a little game with you all called Three Words. Now I'm going to give you three word book titles and I want you to shout out which topic you think this book could possibly be talking about, okay? Turns out there are a lot of three-word book titles. That's kind of a common thing authors like to do. So we're gonna go ahead and try that. So the first title, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. Ooh, anyone else? What do you think that would be talking about? Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. Do we all agree with Mark? Okay, some well-read people here. Thought you wouldn't get this one, good job. This is a book about punctuation and grammar. It is called Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, a zero-tolerance approach to punctuation. Obviously. That makes me think of the Oxford comma. Okay, let's go to the next one. So what about this one? Secrets, Lies, and Algebra. Math, okay, like a math textbook. Perhaps the long lost political history of algebra, or scandal. Politics, okay, anyone else? Secrets, lies, and algebra. So it turns out this is a high school novel. Can Tess find the solutions as she goes through her high school life? Really has nothing to do with algebra at all. Um, Let's do a third one. This one should be easy for many of you. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. What? Okay, yeah. What else? Narnia, yeah, yeah. So normally, spoiler alert, there will be some spoilers in the sermon if you've never read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's actually not about clothing or witches or lions as much as it's a Christian allegory about sin and atonement and a kid's spiritual journey. 
Aslan the lion is part of it. So let's do one more. Um, so ice, mud, and blood. Football. Oh, that's a good guess. And someone else earlier said ice hockey. That's a pretty good guess. Dog sledding? Oh, that's a good one too. No, actually, so this book, Ice, Mud, and Blood, Lessons from Climate's Past, a book on climate change, naturally, from the author of Bones, Rocks, and Stars. By the way, if you ever want to read that one, that one's about geology, in case you're wondering. So what gives these words meaning as a title um, is the context or the narrative behind them. Without the context or the narrative, the themes of these books remain a mystery. If I pulled bones, rocks, and stars off of a shelf, I wouldn't really know what I was getting into without knowing the context, maybe reading the back of the book. So what ties these all together and brings them in common is the context or the narrative. So the reason it piques your interest or it makes you curious is that you wonder, what, what would these things have to do with each other? And mystery is something that is common as we're talking about Colossians. So Paul talks about mystery because this is a cultural norm and expectation among the Colossians. There are a couple things you should know about the city of Colossae that will make reading this make a little more sense. Some of you may have read The Daily Walk this week and you already know what the mystery is. Let's save it, you know, so the others can go through the journey together. But I'm glad we're reading. And um, we'll be talking about the idea of Gnosticism, which is something that the Colossians had a lot in their culture. So Gnosticism is this ideology that there are like levels of mystery, kind of like a video game. You get to the next level, um, you win points, then you get to the next one. And so there were Gnostic teachers that came into the city of Colossae and they would teach that there are levels of knowledge that you have to get higher than you already are and remove ignorance. Now, this ideology also had a little bit of elitism because you could only reach these levels of knowledge if you had the divine spark that other people did not have. And so it was only the select few who were able to reach these levels of wisdom or of knowledge. Other things about Gnosticism, Gnosticism, it came from the idea that there are a bunch of gods, there are a bunch of spirits, and they believed that creation of the world happened when some of these amateur gods who weren't really sure about their powers yet created the material world on accident. And so the material world is not pure, it is not good, it represents evil. And the spiritual world represents purity and goodness. And so they're, they're living with this dichotomy. Everything that they do in their worldview has this dichotomy of the material, the body, the physical is bad, the spiritual is good and perfect. And these two things do not go together. Finally, they believed that salvation is a removal of ignorance. And so, again, the more knowledge you know, the more ignorance you remove, the closer you are to salvation. And this is something that you do on your own through your learning. And so this idea of Gnosticism is a big ideology that undergirds everything that the Colossians think and feel in their worldview. A second one you should know, so we're gonna hold that one over here, Gnosticism. The other one is we still have Jewish thought. 
And so there's still some influence of Jewish thought in the ceremonies and the rituals that the Colossians are doing. So keep in mind, we have now two ideologies happening at the same time. And the second one, the Jewish thought has to do with the rituals and the ceremonies that they did, and also with the food and drink laws. But now we're mixing the two. So we use the food and drink laws and the ceremonies to appease the spirits and the gods to increase our levels of success and knowledge. So we're starting to see a syncretism between the two. And those two things now are happening. And now we're gonna add a third thing to the mix. So the culture of Colossians, they're known for purple dye. That's their economic um, trade. And so they're very popular because purple dye is all the rage. And they are a wealthy, economically um, diverse town. Keep in mind, they are also close to Laodicea that we see mentioned later in the chapter and close to Heropolis that we also see later in the chapter. So these three cities are working together and they're all great markets, purple dye, people are coming in from all over. Um, so they have a lot of diverse influence and they're wealthy and they're business minded. So you're talking to people who now have these three aspects. It's important for us to know because if we're reading something from another culture, it's a completely different worldview and it's important. So imagine everything we're about to say has Gnosticism, Jewish thought, and smart economically minded people as Paul's demographic. So this leads to a list of behaviors that the Colossians are like, okay, if I'm gonna live fully and live a successful life, obviously putting these three things together, these are the behaviors that I'm gonna do. First of all, I'm gonna live a ceremonial life. So what I eat, what I drink needs to appease the gods. I need to make sure, secondly, that I am living in a way that ignores my body. Don't touch, don't handle, don't feel, don't sense. The body is bad. The spiritual is good, the body is bad. So I will live ceremonially in ways that ignore my body and appease the gods. And then third, we have worship. So I have to worship all these different gods, make sure they're all happy with me so that I'm successful and so that I'm able to live a full life. And then fourth, we finally have secret knowledge. While I'm living a full life, I have these secret levels that I'm attaining, these ranks. How many of you think that that would be a culture you would want to live in. So some of those things may sound a little weird or a little odd um, to think, you know, why, why live that way? Why try to appease all of these angelic beings? And when we think about it, we actually have some own lists, um, some lists of our own in our own culture that look kind of like this. So let's see. What are some lists that we have now that might be kind of weird and odd to a Colossian if they were to pick up a book about us and read them in their time? So maybe the first thing would be our food and drink. We would tell the Colossian, okay, if you want to live fully in the 21st century, here are your food and drink laws. First of all, make sure that you eat organic, that you shop locally, that you drink eight glasses of water, that you're keto, gluten-free, and vegan. Those are very important to living fully in the 21st century. The second thing, that's to appease the gods of CrossFit. The second thing is rituals. So you need to check the news religiously 
You need to check your email, check your phone, check Netflix, new releases, because your coworker's gonna talk to you about it tomorrow. You're gonna look dumb if you don't know the ending of Game of Thrones. So you need to check all of these things to make sure that you are socially living fully in the life that God has for you. So that's our second thing. We have our rituals. Our third thing is worship. So make sure if you live fully in the 21st century, you worship your work, your boss, your celebrity crush, your Facebook status, your spouse, your title, and your religion. All of these things need to be worshiped and prioritized if you live fully in the 21st century. And finally, we have secret knowledge. There's this thing called Pinterest, you would tell the Colossian, and it has home hacks, that one trick to keep a stomach flat how to make her love you, how to self-love, how to lose weight and eat what you want. These are all the secret knowledge that you would need, dear Colossian, to live in the 21st century. This is our list. And we would look at each other's lists with confusion because it wouldn't make no sense because our worldview is different than their worldview. But when we hear our list, we're like, yeah, you kind of do have to do those things if you plan to succeed and live well in this time period. And so it turns out we're not so different than the Colossians in this regard. We have our own list of how to appease our own gods, how to live in this secret knowledge that we've been given that works with our worldview. And we have our own cocktail of cultural components that create this list for us. When we look at the Colossians, what can we learn from that? It seems very odd that these ideas would be similar to our own culture. And while there are many differences, I think that there are some things we could take away from this. The first one being that the mystery of living a life of fullness is more than just a checklist of items and behaviors. The mystery of living a life of fullness is more than just a checklist of items and behaviors. And why is Paul talking about this? Paul is saying in our section for today, three things. He's saying the mystery is revealed. The mystery that you are trying to discover through Gnosticism, through your knowledge, that is revealed. And he knows his audience. You know Paul is a politician. He is everything to all people. So he knows how to speak the language of those that he is talking to. The first one is to the Gnostics. He said, the mystery is revealed. You don't have to look any further for your secret knowledge. To the second, he says to the Jews, Christ is wisdom personified. And so the Jews hear this and their ears perk up because they have heard all their lives that Solomon believes in wisdom, wisdom is a she personified in the Bible, and this she is now linked to Jesus Christ, he who has come down from God, and this is wisdom personified. And they have been waiting for this to happen throughout all of their lifetime. So when Paul says that, he's speaking to the Jews in the audience. And then third, he's speaking of the wealth of wisdom and treasure that Christ brings. And so now the entrepreneurs in the audience are like, okay, you have me, I hear you. Where do I find this wisdom and treasure? Not in the purple dye markets, where do I go? Okay, so now we have all of the members of Paul's audience that he is able to speak to in this moment. And he says, basically from all these verses together, his message is, I am struggling through many trials 
to bring you this mystery revealed, which is the wholeness of Christ and the wealth of wisdom and treasure hidden therein. And the wholeness of Christ is the new component that he brings in, that none of the three demographics have brought to the table. Paul binds them all together by the wholeness of Christ. And the importance of this is that he uses a word, a Greek word called pleroma. Excuse my Spanish accent, but that's how I pronounce everything I don't know how to pronounce with a Spanish accent, so pleroma. And pleroma equals fullness. And this is not just a fullness like, oh, I ate too much, I'm full. This is like a completeness, a wholeness, a binding together of all of the things. And so when Paul comes together to this audience that's made up of diverse demographics and people from different places who have come to have commerce in one place, he is saying Christ binds all these perspectives together and gives the meaning and context in wholeness. As Colossians 1.17 says earlier in the chapter, Jennifer covered this last week, but all things hold together through Christ. And this is a common theme weaved throughout the whole chapter. When we look at this for our own lives, we see that all of the things that we might be trying to balance in our lives are kind of like the demographics that Paul is talking to. So instead of our culture being the Gnosticism, the Jewish thought, and the economic situation, there are parts of this that we take and we create our own culture. And now we have all the things that we're trying to balance in our daily lives. We might be trying to balance relationships with ourselves, with our parents, with our friends, with our sons and daughters, relationships with others in our community, with people we disagree with politically, relationships with our country, we might be trying to balance all of these things. We might also be trying to balance work life. So that work home balance, how do we have that? That's one of our biggest stressors. What about food and drink, what we put in our bodies? When do I have time to exercise? When do I fit that in? How do I spend time with the people I love? How do I also find a religion that speaks to me? Something that I can really find Christ through. What religious ceremonies and rituals does that involve? These are all things that we think about throughout the week that we're always trying to balance throughout our time and our money and our resources. This is what our culture is looking like. All of the diverse things that we have that we're trying to figure out how to make work from day to day. Put on top of that issues of identity and purpose. While I am going to yoga, eating organic, and making sure that my kids have the best discipline, am I also living out the person that I was meant to be? Do I even have time to reflect on that or think about that? Do I have worth? Do I live from a place of self-esteem when I interact with my neighbor? Does it come from me knowing who I am and myself in Christ? There's no time to think about those things in our culture. And the Colossians would look at from their list of four things to our endless list of things in the information age, man, there are a lot of things to try to hold together. But when we look at this, this fullness, this pleroma of Christ, Christ is the one that takes all of these aspects of our life and gives them context and meaning so that they interact with each other in the ways that they're supposed to, so that 
One does not go above the other. And Christ as the head is able to be in charge of all of these things in our lives. Unfortunately, he's usually the last one that we have time for, time to think about. I was reading about prayer this week and about the struggle that it is. I don't know if any of you have read anything by Philip Yancey, but he is an amazing author. And he talks about the struggle that is the spiritual life, about how it's related to running a race or struggling in a contest. There is that perseverance, that daily showing up. And as we look at what Paul is saying, he's saying this fullness of Christ requires a daily showing up. If we're able to say, Christ, I am showing up today at least for five minutes in my day to say that all of these things I'm carrying need to be put together in you, that you need to give them all the narrative and the context that they need so that I can continue with my day, those five minutes are more important than all of these other things put together. And not to say that these things are not important. These are the things that flow out of our relationship with God. But it is these things together that need to be sown in right relationship. And if these are in right relationship and balance, we live this life of fullness, of wholeness, that is a mystery that so many people are trying to figure out right now. If we have the fullness of Christ putting our life into context, creates a life of shalom that brings our identity and our purpose and our worth, things as internal as that, into our work, what we do, how we treat our kids, our spouse, our parents. These things stem from those five minutes that you take in the day to say, Lord, you are my pleroma. You pull everything together. I think this is a tall order. Even though it's a simple concept and it's something you hear week after week here in this community, we are here to hold each other accountable to that and to remind each other that this central principle is the glue, the gravity, the context that keeps us running. This glue and gravity and context is what helps us minister to other people to show them if the Lord can do this to keep me running, he can also do this for you. All of those things don't have to be handled on your own. And so my prayer for us is that we are able to live in the fullness of a God who takes all of these pieces of our lives and fills them with the context and meaning that they deserve. Like the titles, he is the narrative behind them all. And that all of these things may be held together through him. Thank you. Amen.